You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Wait a minute. Do you still think politics is boring? Well, not when you can say fun words like cacus. Yes, it's fun words like cacus and more. With the intellectual, intersexual, and intersectional. Nicole Sandler on NicoleSandler.com. Boom. Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome to a Wednesday. Um, uh, We are going to get to Lisa Graves in just a moment. Yes, Lisa Graves is here today to um, help us kind of grok what's going on at the Supreme Court. It was actually a a decent day yesterday, believe it or not. Um, Before we bring Lisa on, though, you know, I try to start with something fun and um, uh, topical, but funny because, you know, things can get kind of... uh, heavy during the program, so I try to start with a giggle. But this one needs a little bit of an, of an introduction. So um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the former guy yesterday um, uh, did an interview, was trying to cover his tracks, and he said something about, um, uh, you know, that, you know, he's trying to make excuses for the tape that we all heard. And he said something like, maybe it was just... Um, bravado. Now, if you're wondering where he got that from, Jonathan Turley, you know, the lawyer that used to go on with Keith Olbermann all the time, used to seem like a reasonable human being, is now the, the mainstay at Fox. I think he's got a cot in the back room and they just pull him out whenever they need uh, a legal person to back up their contention. Anyway, Jonathan Turley floated that. Listen to this. But if they ask somebody in that room, what did Donald Trump show you on that audio tape? Because it seems like he was saying, I have this document and it's top secret. Normally I could declassify it if I was president, but I'm not president now. He says it was newspaper articles. Will they go up to the people there and say, what did he show you? I think so. I Here's mean, they called those witnesses, and Brett sort of pushed him on this and said, look, these are your words. You don't exactly come off as saying, here's a bunch of news clippings. I mean, it sounds like you're holding uh, the document. But, you know, Trump can simply say that was bravado. It's the government burden to show that this document bravado. Uh, existed. Bravado. Uh, he said bravado. So, so Trump got the word. But you know what? He didn't used to say bravado. The word he used was well was immortalized in a song by our friend Randy Rainbow. So, um take it away. It, whoops. <laughs> Hold on one second. I got to get this out of there. Uh take it away, Randy. And welcome back to the first presidential debate. Mr. Trump, let's get back to what you were saying about Secretary Clinton's makeup. You mentioned she's been a little heavy on the eyeliner lately. Is that okay? Good. I want you to be very happy. It's very important to me. But in all fairness to Secretary Clinton, she's been doing this for 30 years. Do you need a tissue? What's happened to our jobs and our country and our economy generally is, look, we owe $20 trillion. 
We cannot do it any longer. I am very underleveraged. I have a great company. I have a tremendous income. And the reason I say that is not in a braggadocious way. It's because braggadocious. Braggadocious. Is that even a word? I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? He. Super callous, fragile, egocentric, braggadocious Likes to throw big words around and hopes that we all notice If he keeps repeating them, they might just make him POTUS Super careless, fragile, ego, extra braggadocious Um, are you really gonna vote for this guy? Mm, are you really gonna vote for this guy? Um, are you really gonna vote for this guy? Uh, are you no! really gonna vote for this guy? He says that he's the man and thinks he's got the Midas touch But does he have a plan to fix the country? Not so much And if you're not convinced by all of that hyperbole He says shut up, just buy a stupid hat and vote for me. Hey, super careless, fragile, that's why Hillary's relaxed. This time Bill Clinton might as well sit back and play the sax. His wife erased her emails and now Trump wants total access. Then once hell has frozen over, he'll release his taxes. Um, are you really gonna vote for this guy? Are you really gonna vote for this guy? Um, are you really gonna vote for this guy? Are you really gonna vote for this guy? He found a word that sounded smart and used it all day long. But even Webster's dictionary said he got it wrong. So if you're undecided or you hate the other sex, remember in November how he likes to sign his checks it's super sleazy fabricating sexist and obnoxious even just the thought of voting for him makes me nauseous if you like america you'll keep him out of office superficial chauvinistic arrogant and thoughtless um are you really gonna vote for this guy who the hell's gonna vote for this guy of course you can say it backwards which is docious bragocentric ego fragile callous stupid did you ask me a question nope i didn't say anything <laughs> So when his words escape him and he hasn't got a prayer, he's feeling kind of dizzy because he sucked up all that air. Oh, yeah. He better keep his guard up because she might take a swing. And you know what else I prepared for? I prepared to be president. And I think that's a good thing. Wait a minute. Did you just hand him his ass and quote Martha Stewart? <laughs> yes, bitch. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean, secretary bitch. Super calculated adolescent braggadocious If you hate both nominees, remember he's the grossest Meanwhile, look at Jill and Gary <laughs> sipping on mimosas Super callous, fragile, egocentric, braggadocious I think I did a good job Super callous, fragile, egocentric, braggadocious Okay, we need to stop that so it was braggadocious before it was uh, whatever he said. All right. With that done, because, you know, we needed to get a little fun in there. Uh, we welcome Lisa Graves back to the show. Lisa Graves, uh, the legal uh, authority here at the Nicole Sandler Show. Lisa comes to us from years working at the highest levels of government as a legal expert. You were a deputy assistant attorney general under both uh, Bill Clinton and Janet Reno. And uh, George W. Bush and John Ashcroft, uh, along with other, you were the the, le the head lawyer guy person for nominations at the Senate Judiciary Committee, among other things. I could spend the whole show, Lisa Graves, running down your your uh, bona fides, but suffice it to say, you are the the legal expert that I love calling on. So thank you for joining us today. Oh, uh, thanks for having me, Nicole. And it's always a joy to hear. Uh, Randy um, and his amazing uh, songs. Um, that was uh, hilarious. And if only more people had seen that, um, seen his video uh, at the time back in 2016, maybe we could have had a different uh, result. Uh, yeah, if only, if only. But, you know, how about that uh, Jonathan Turley giving him the word bravado? He does. He uses words like braggadocious. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, it was uh, it was funny because. Um, uh, that was free, <laughs> free legal advice for yes. Donald Trump, although uh, nothing's free for the rest of us in terms of uh, the effect on our democracy. But it was quite stunning to see Trump basically pick up Turley's suggestion and run with it. Um, you know, and it's interesting because uh, as, as folks will remember from our discussion of the indictment um, and also the follow on discussions that um, Trump was so obsessed with what was in these boxes that he had his valet slash butler slash sycophant, uh, Walt, uh, bring him boxes for himself to look for. Subsequently, he claimed he was just looking for his golf shirt. Right. Um, you know, really like he couldn't have his butler, uh, dude, uh, look for his golf shirts. He wasn't concerned about his golf shirts. He was looking for the documents, which they described as the beautiful mind documents, okay. the documents that he really wanted to have because he wants to share them with people who are not 
authorized to, to see them or, or hear about them. Now, the beautiful mind thing, that's something we haven't talked about here yet, but it was, it was in the notes, I guess, from the indictment where the staffers referred to those boxes that Trump insisted on keeping as his beautiful mind boxes. Has that ever been explained to us other than the movie reference to the scientist who, um, I forget his name, um, John something, I'm losing, but he he totally he was a brilliant man who who lost it right who just went turned like vegetable like didn't he yeah i mean that 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 uh, movie was famous and i guess we all assume it's a reference to that movie <laughs> although i would have to say that donald trump isn't brilliant at anything no. although he's quite effective at lying oh, um come but, on uh, now. you know um the fact is is that the the staff his his uh his adoring um you know workers in essence were um, describing those documents as the beautiful mind documents, meaning they were um, part of his description of the supposed conspiracy against oh. him. Okay. Is that me ringing? Uh, I don't hear anything. Do you hear? I uh, I don't hear anything. <laughs> All right. That was my, that was my internal phone ringing. Oh, I just clicked, I clicked, gotcha. No, that's, and speaking of conspiracy theories, that was an actual phone ringing only on my end. Sorry. <laughs> yes, it was. I'm oh, like, okay. That but, was real. But, what? Um, Anyway, no. So, you know, I think I think what you have, um, you know, it's interesting because if you listen to the audio that CNN obtained um, about that exchange that was documented in the indictment that was handed down by Florida citizens who found that Trump, um, there was substantial evidence that Trump committed, you know, 36 plus crimes, um, which he denies. But the fact is, is that when you listen to that audio, you don't hear those staffers saying, oh, what, you're holding up a, an editorial cartoon or it's just a clip. Uh, <laughs> you know, you hear them going, wow, wow. Um, oh, we're going to have to check on that. We're going to check whether you can release that. So this is, um, uh, I think, um, in in radio um, uh, that's not FCC regulated, it's, it's uh, the proper term is bullshit. Um, bullshit. Yes. Bullshit. Yes. That's it. Um, and he's good at it. But, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I saw. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going off topic here for a second, but bear with me. So before we came on, I'm watching. I had Katie Turon in the background and she has Peter Baker from The New York Times on. And they're going on and on and on about this new poll, this new NBC News poll that has um, people worried about Joe Biden's age and infirmity. And I'm like, what about Donald Trump? Joe Biden has always been a gaffe machine. When he was 35, he was a gaffe machine. That's nothing new. It has nothing to do with his age or anything else. He's a shitty speaker and he's a gaffe machine. But he's doing a pretty decent job as president. But so they put up this graphic, which I do have here if I can find it real quickly, um, uh, about the poll numbers and, and they're freaking out and uh, Democrats this and Democrats that and, and not a word mind you, not a word about, no, I can't, I can't find, oh, here it is, not a word about, um, uh, here, here, um, not a word about Donald Trump. Well, the fact is, you know, Joe Biden is three years older than Trump. Trump is 77 and Biden is 80. There's not much of a difference. Look, when you're three and six, it's a big difference, but at 77 and 80, um, there's not much of a difference. But as I said yesterday, I, I you know, screw the, the cage match between Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. I want to see Joe Biden and Donald Trump on a bicycle race. I want to see Donald Trump get on a bicycle and ride half a block. You know, there's the physical part of it, because Biden certainly fit. But in terms of, you know, mental acuity, there's the whole person, woman, man, camera, TV thing. Yeah. You know, one thing that nobody ever questioned, if they had him identify all these pictures, he identified them as person, woman, man. How do you, what's the person? Is that a eunuch? Is it, was it a, a sexless like stick figure? So that, that denotes a person as opposed to a man and a woman. Why has nobody ever questioned this? I just assumed it was like um, the bathroom symbols or the walking symbol, you know. But the fact is, is that his description of that being a hard test and that they were supposedly surprised that he did well at it. That may be true. They may have been surprised he he, he managed to recite the things in order. But the fact is, is that Trump's, you know, Trump on a daily basis 
sort of reveals his unfitness um, for the job of being entrusted with our nation's security and its secrets. And his um, speeches, these rallies are just, you know, extraordinary ego trips. Um, and they're, and they're, are, they're untethered to reality. Um, and, you know, uh, as you point out, um, President Biden, who has, um, you know, has stuttered, um, has a stutter since his youth, um, is someone who does um, make verbal gaffes, but he's also someone who, um, you know, is quite a clear on the policy. His State <laughs> of the Union address was quite clear. Um, and he also doesn't do um, things that indicate a lack of impulse control um, involving, you know, international affairs, like oh. this idea of what Trump would have done about Ukraine. He would have let Putin crush Ukraine oh. and destroy democracy there. That was his plan. And he would have been tweeting about, as he did before, about international affairs in ways that don't advance our interests, but just advance his ego. Right. So, you know, you just, it's like comparing the two is just uh, sort of um, a really fraught exercise because you have someone who has no judgment, in my personal opinion, no good judgment, no character, and someone who is of a similar age and who has exercised um, good judgment in defense of our nation and who is someone who does not spit on the legacy of of service members and patriots, doesn't say outrageous things like he prefers people who weren't POWs, <laughs> uh, doesn't attack Who weren't the, captured. I like people captured, who weren't you know, captured. Yeah, you know, so I mean, you just, it's just but, like, but, but, uh, but to your point also on the sort of bicycling or Peloton, I mean, uh, Biden's physical fitness, I'd like to see him, you know, do a challenge like oh, that because I think he'd, he'd crush um, Trump in his golf cart riding um, fake uh, hole in one sort of ways. <laughs> Everything you know? about him is fake. First of all, you, you want the president of the United States to at least know something about, you know, world. The, the, the makeup of the world, the geography, and, but like, not this. I have great respect for the UK, United Kingdom, great respect. People call it Britain, they call it Great Britain, they call it, they used to call it England, different parts. <laughs> he doesn't know anything, but he says he's the best at everything. Nobody can do it like me, nobody. Nobody can do it like me. Honestly, honestly, nobody's stronger than me. Nobody has better toys than I do. There's nobody bigger or better at the military than I am. Nobody loves the Bible more than I do. Nobody builds walls better than me. Nobody's better to people with disabilities than me. Nobody's fighting for the veterans like I'm fighting for the veterans. There's nobody that's done so much for equality as I have. There's nobody more pro-Israel than I am. (laughs) There's nobody more conservative than me. There is nobody that respects women more than I do. Nobody would be tougher on ISIS than Donald Trump. There's nobody's ever had crowds like Trump has had. There's nobody that understands the horror of nuclear better than me. (laughs) Nobody even understands it but me. It's called devaluation. The sale of the uranium that nobody knows what it means. I know what it means. Nobody knows more about trade than me. Nobody knows the game better than I do. Nobody in the history of this country has ever known so much about infrastructure as Donald Trump. I know the H-1B. I know the H-2B. Nobody knows it better than me. Nobody knows politicians better than I do. Nobody knows more about taxes than I do. Nobody knows more about debt than I do. Nobody knows the system better than me. You know, it could go on for hours. It, and, and, and he is like 50 points ahead of the next republic. I just don't understand it. Well, you know, I mean... I. Hearing Trump in that little um, that set that you put together there, Nicole, it it reminds me. I know that you know he doesn't drink. That's one of the things that he's been clear about. I I believe is honesty there. Not that he may not do other substances, but he doesn't uh, drink alcohol. But like he literally sounds like the jerk at the end of the bar, the sort of oh, loudmouth who the will bra- not shut up, the braggadocious just, guy. <laughs> yeah, the braggadocious guy. You, like if you were at the bar next to him, you'd like move away, and you'd probably say to the bartender like stop serving him right. that guy is just a like a loudmouth bragger braggart who yeah. doesn't know what he's talking about want, but wants to pretend like he knows everything i mean it's <laughs> he's such a bore actually Horrible. like the idea that people are fans of his and then sort of a cult around this guy it is astonishing because i i don't understand right. how people could hold him in high esteem oh given his obvious uh you know deceitful deceptive lying um, you know, braggadocious ways. It's quite a, uh, appalling. A very famous pollster, very well-known. John McLaughlin came to my office 
just prior to the plague coming in. The plague. He said, sir, if George Washington and Abraham Lincoln came alive from the dead and they formed a president, vice president team, you would beat them by 40 (laughs) percent. That's how good our numbers were. You know what I say to Donald Trump, don't you? It goes like I this. I need you to shut the fuck up because nobody asks you, bitch. I need you to shut the fuck up, bitch. Shut the fuck up, bitch. Just shut the fuck up, bitch. Shut the fuck up, bitch. Bow, bow. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Bow, bow. This is what goes through my head every time he, he talks. So uh, we're going to shut him up now. Uh, and <laughs> I, I, I do have to say, like, just let me just say the idea. First of all, John McLaughlin said that and he's deceased now and did a lot of bad in his uh, life as a right wing uh, op ed writer um, and more. But if he said that to, to Trump, he was, you know, blowing smoke. Um, you know, he was just trying to kiss his ass, basically. But, you know, but for Trump to believe it is a sign of insanity because there's no reasonable person who would who would believe that he would pull better than those two founding fathers. Um, I mean, it's just it's just astonished, astonishingly <laughs> arrogant and egocentrical and nonsense. Right. But that's par for the course. And the reason I pulled all these today is because of that segment I saw with Katie Tour and Peter Baker, who should know better. And you know what? If you want to talk about Joe Biden's age and infirmity, you can't do it without mentioning Donald Trump in the same breath and, and, and say that Joe Biden has a problem here. But Trump doesn't. Yeah. Uh, blah. Okay, so anyway, that's not that's not why I asked you here today, Lisa. So we're we are in the final week, basically, of this term of the Supreme Court. It goes from the first Monday in October to the end of June, which is when they're supposed to have all the decisions read by. Last year, they got a little behind, maybe because of um, you know circumstances. I don't know, but but. Um, uh, so there are, if I my count is correct, there are still eight cases left for them to opine on but what do we say that they're issuing an opinion a decision they're deciding how do how do we refer to it we're waiting for them to issue the final decisions of this supreme court term and uh, we're waiting on a couple of big cases and a couple of other um, big cases have come down recently uh that are worth talking about um but it's also um you know it's also i guess it's traditional obviously to call them decisions. I think some of them are edicts. Some of them are fiats right. uh, in the sense that they're just declarations. Um, some of them have been declarations of things that are not consistent at all with our longstanding legal precedents. And so they're, they are in fact decisions, but in, in some ways they're um, just rulings by people who um, in some ways have dispensed with um, ethical rules that, that bind all other judges or even the norms of judging in many instances because you know, of their willingness to put their personal agenda um, and make that the law that's binding on us. Right. So, Lisa, if, you know, the, the, the ethics problems of this court, I believe, are unparalleled. Then again, I'm not a historian, but has the Supreme Court ever been rocked by so many ethics questions, ac- accusations, problems uh, swarming around them. I mean, it's not only one. It's it's Thomas. It's Alito. It's Roberts and his wife. And now we hear Amy Coney Barrett has a little problem too. There's, it's unprecedented. There's never been a court that has um, been engulfed in these types of scandals that really go to the heart of whether these uh, individuals who've been given lifetime jobs on our highest court should be entrusted with those roles, whether they have um, been using their office to enrich themselves, um, whether they have been disregarding the rules that any other federal employee or other judges would do, would use in terms of accepting gifts from billionaires, um, whether they, you know, would um, allow their spouses to, um, and I mean that whether they're a husband or wife, but, you know, the spouse of a Supreme Court justice to um, to enrich their household um, due to, you know, contracts within the legal community in ways that you know, cast out on um, the fairness of those, uh, the fairness of the judge who's appointed. There's a whole host of issues, and we've never seen anything like it. Um, there, there certainly was a scandal around um, Abe Fortas back, you know, 50 years ago, and uh, a small amount of money, um, not that it was not significant, but a small amount of money that actually ended up causing him to, re- to step away from um, being chosen to be the chief justice of the wow. Supreme Court 
um, but nothing like this. And and even though the um, right wing did attack the Warren court for its ruling in Brown versus Board of Education, those were attacks that were um, sort of horrific attacks in the sense of the John Birch Society, which Charles Koch's father, Fred Koch, helped a launch um, attacking the Supreme Court as communist and even attacking President Eisenhower as a communist sympathizer. These were baseless, ridiculous attacks, but they were attacks on the court. What's happening now is nothing like that. These are well-grounded in deep investigative work that show deeply serious problems with the Supreme Court and with Robert's role as the chief justice in not uh, requiring any binding judicial ethics uh, rules and not even uh, insisting that the um, gift rules that apply to all federal employees be um, be adhered to by these um, justices who sit right. with him. You know so what? Even even a disc jockey on your local radio station has rules. You can't take anything worth more than $20 without reporting it to the company. Paola. Yeah. So the Supreme Court is not, you know, subject to these kind of this kind of oversight, which is ridiculous. But but and and putting even all this aside, there's still the question of the legitimacy of the three Trump appointees. Each one of them got in, got their lifetime appointment under not quite kosher circumstances. That's right. I mean, there's a there's a the cloud that hangs over them because you had a seat that became vacant in February of 2016 uh, when Scalia died on a on a trip that was funded by some rich person, um, and uh, and that position was allowed to remain vacant for over a year because the Republicans wanted to keep Barack Obama, the duly elected, twice elected president, both from an electoral college and popular vote standpoint, they want to keep him from replacing Scalia with uh, Merrick Garland, who was his nominee. And then um, the basis of that was this supposed claim that during an election year, um, the people should have the right to decide who the president is before um, a nomination happens, even though the people had already decided that Barack Obama was legitimate president uh, reelected to the office twice. Um, And then, and then they, they installed Gorsuch who was quite controversial. His controversies seemingly paled in comparison to Kavanaugh who was installed over the objections of millions of American women. um, And the really compelling testimony of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford of how he treated her. Um, my statements about his repeated perjury in lying to Congress um, in his different hearings uh, before the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, in 2004 and uh, subsequently um, for his D.C. Circuit nomination and also for the Supreme Court. And then you had Amy Coney Barrett nominated literally on the eve of the presidential election in 2020 after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died in September of 2020. She was confirmed in October of 2020 by the same political party that claimed you couldn't, shouldn't, will never allow a a confirmation of a Supreme Court justice while a presidential election is underway. And yet, of course, they did uh, for her nomination. And she was someone who, like Clarence Thomas, had barely served as a judge. She sort of just barely served on the Seventh Circuit on a seat that McConnell had helped hold open blocking an African-American woman, a nominee of Barack Obama, from having that seat. Um, She barely had that seat, which, by the way, her nomination at seat was announced at while she was speaking at the Federal Society's uh, meeting. Um, And it was orchestrated by Leonard Leo, the uh, the dark money guy who, you know, has been helping to pack the court and recently received uh, a gift of more than one point six billion dollars to a trust to further advance this extreme agenda through the Marvel Freedom Trust. Um, And so you have three justices on that court um, who um, had the regular order been followed or even some semblance of common sense about ethics regarding Kavanaugh would not have been confirmed. And this court, instead of being a six to three Republican appointed court, uh, would have been a five to four with a five member majority of Democratic appointees. And, you know, again, look, I, I hate to beat a dead horse and I'm, I don't know what the Democrats could have done. But going back to 2020, when they, they stole the election for George Bush from Al Gore. Sorry, Al Gore had more votes, um, but they, they did it. They stole it. And then they stole three Supreme Court seats. They kept a seat open, as you mentioned, for over a year while Obama was president saying, oh, it's an election year. Um, they are 
They're just crooked. They're stealing democracy from us. And yet the Democrats go, no, well, we're doing all we can. Are they? Well, you know, that situation, unfortunately, in 2016 was one where, given the rules of the Senate, there was no way to overcome McConnell's stranglehold on um, on the court. Um, you know, and then subsequently McConnell uh, had changed the rules to um, prevent a filibuster of um, Supreme Court nominees. Right. And so the Democrats did not have procedural tools available to stop this this capture of the court, as Senator Whitehouse has so clearly um, demonstrated. But there are things that can be done, and that re- but that requires a progressive majority in Congress. That includes having term limits. Mm-hmm. Um, that includes, in my view, expanding the court to add additional judges um, to unpack the court, not to pack the court, but to unpack it to make sure that we have um, justices who actually believe in precedent versus these people who've been handpicked by Leonard Leo, not because they're believed to be fair, but because they are believed to be people who will overturn these precedents, including specifically Roe versus Wade. Absolutely. To destroy women's constitutional protection for access to abortion. That was why they were chosen, and that's what they delivered. And you know, that's not being a fair judge. That's actually the opposite. That's people who came before the American people at their Senate hearings and, and basically lied about whether they would follow precedent or honor precedent while they were handpicked because they were believed to be sure votes in destroying re- women's reproductive rights in America. Exactly. They And they lied. And here's one other thing. You know, it's no one ever accused the Democrats of being good at messaging. We could use some help in that area. You know, they, they talk about, oh, the Democrats want to change the number of, of justices on the Supreme Court, in which they can do. They did it. The Republicans did it. They lowered the number of justices for over a year from nine to eight. It, that's what they do. They can increase the number of justices just as easily. And But the Democrats don't ever put it that way, should they? Well, the fact is that the Constitution sets no number for the that's number right. of Supreme Court justices. It's varied over the last 200 plus years, and um, there is no set number. I would say that given the caseload of America, America is, you know, uh, more than 300 million people. We have, you know, um, thousands and thousands of of cases, the Supreme Court itself receives um, between eight thousand and nine thousand petitions for what's called cert mm-hmm. to accept their appeal. Um, they they handpick only seventy or so cases each year to hear, um, and they have the same number of justices when America was half its size. So I actually think the Supreme Court should be larger. I think it should be fifteen. Um, I also think there should be additional circuit ju- circuit courts created and a circuit court that's a that's an intermediate court above all the other circuits uh, because we need more judges to be able to handle the litigation uh, in the United States, but not just any judges. We need fair judges. And by fair judges, I mean people who were not handpicked by Leonard Leo to overturn Roe to, um, in my view, um, likely attack a gay rights, the rights of Americans to marry American adults to marry whom they choose, um, not to attack the power of our regulatory agencies to protect us and mitigate climate change. Clearly, the Environmental Protection Agency has the mandate from Congress to protect our environment, um, including to um, including to uh, adopt regulations around about clean power plants and to encourage or create incentives for renewable energy. But this Supreme Court, this right wing court that's been captured by uh, Leonard Leo and his big dark money backers like the billionaire Barry Side, um, they uh, they have ruled, they have issued an edict that the EPA lacks that authority. And they've done so by claiming that there's a totally invented, quote, doctrine that's not mentioned anywhere in the Constitution. It's called the so-called major questions doctrine, which was invented entirely by the right wing that says the court can supersede the power of an agency or its expertise when the court, meaning these judges, think that the issue is, quote, a major question, and they want to leave that to Congress. Well, Congress has the power, if it wants to, to pass laws that change the power of the agency. But when Congress has not done so, what is it the business of this right-wing Supreme Court to step in and try to thwart the ability of our environmental protection agency to mitigate the climate changes that are underway, climate changes that are leading to this wave of unprecedented, at least in modern history, um, forest fires in uh, 
in you know Canada and other right. places that are yeah. affecting our what we the air we breathe and so much more. So um, it's astonishingly um, arrogant the hubris of this right wing court to supplant our precedents with their personal predilections. Um, that's not what we need judges for. Um, uh, they are not fair judges, and they were chosen not to be fair, in my opinion. No, I agree with, I agree with you 100%. Lisa Graves is our guest today. You can find her these days. She's the, the executive director, editor, head honcho at True North Research. Find them at truenorthresearch.org. They are doing amazing work, uh, continuing the work, Lisa, that you've been doing for years. I mean, Lisa is the one who, uh, for me anyway, really uncovered the Koch brothers for me. Alec, the, 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 the many transgressions, the evils of Alec, and now uh, Leonard Leo as well. Um, but when you come on the show to give your legal expertise to us so we understand more what's going on, you come on in, in your capacity as a private citizen, not in your role as running True North Research, because they're a nonpartisan group uh, who does all these investigations. And, and um, so we appreciate that. And I like to, you know, make the distinction there. So let's talk about... Some of these races, some of these um, cases that were decided. So the week started. There were ten left uh, yesterday. Uh, what did they do? on Monday? They they issued orders, not decisions, and they sent something back down to the lower court. Right that that um, for uh, that had to do with the redistricting case that they announced yesterday. Right that that had to do with Louisiana, didn't it? On Monday. Yes, so I'm going to go off camera for a second, uh, Nicole, because my uh, video is uh, slowing down for a second. No worries. Um, Can you hear me all right? Here are you fine. Here are you fine. Um, Yes, so there was a decision, a much-anticipated decision this week in a case uh, uh, called the Independent State Legislature Theory. Um, That was a case that was um, brought to the Supreme Court um, as a result of a battle over the maps drawn in North Carolina. North Carolina, like Wisconsin, is one of the states where the right-wing um, uh, legislature has basically tried to um, expand minority rule, not majority rule like in a regular democracy, but a state where you could have a, a Democrat elected statewide, like for the governorship um, or an attorney general position, where there was no map other than the map of the state of North Carolina or Wisconsin, but for the state legislature and for the for Congress, the lines were drawn so extremely with such extreme partisanship um, that you have a majority domination of the state legislature and of the congressional delegation that's inconsistent with uh, the results when voters have a chance to vote without those arbitrary map lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, the backstory is that uh, the right wing, uh, right wing um, advocates, including Leonard Leo, um, we're pushing for the court to um, adopt what's, what's this theory that state courts had no power, no power to um, rule on the decisions of the state legislature when it came to maps and voting. Um, and that, that's sort of a simplification of it, but that's the gist of it. Um, we know that Leo had a position because there was a, a report earlier this year that he had had a fight with the co-founder of the Federal Society, a guy named Stephen Calabresi, who's, you know, right-wing lawyer, um, about the fact that this theory that the Constitution forbids state courts from having oversight over these maps is contrary to the language of the Constitution, its history, and 200-plus years of precedent. And what happened was that, uh, according to the reports, Leo forbade the co-founder of the Federal Society from saying that he was uh, the co-founder of the Federal Society when he was making this uh, argument that this uh, theory was at odds with um, the Constitution and with the you know original intent and essence of the Constitution. Um, Leo is the co-chair of the Federal Society now. He was previously the vice president of it, and he's been the guy that's been driving cash into it through these billionaires like Barry Side and Paul Singer and Charles Koch um, and other billionaires to advance their right-wing agenda. So what you had was a, a squabble within the Federal Society about an issue where a very radical position was being advocated by Leo's allies in their amicus briefs um, and a another, quote, originalist um, lawyer who was his colleague was saying this is not like accurate. This is really extreme. And he tried to shut him down. Um, 
but it's not just Leo. It's actually a, a broader part of that right wing infrastructure that was trying to help Trump, uh, help the MAGA Republicans uh, to basically create not just a rule, in essence, retrospectively in North Carolina about what was happening in that particular state, but really to create a rule prospectively that these Republican dominated legislatures who have captured these legislatures due to this extreme gerrymandering or extremely partisan map drawing, that they could be unchecked, that no state court would have oversight over them. Like they are, in essence, a a branch or power unto themselves, which is completely contrary to the notion of separation of powers. And it's also contrary to a decision by this same U.S. Supreme Court that was issued just a few years ago before Gorsuch and uh, Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett were appointed to it, Mm -hmm. where the court in an opinion by Justice Kennedy in the Rucho versus Common Cause case limited the power of federal courts to weigh in on these uh, state districting matters, but said, of course, state courts have that power. And what these Republicans, uh, these Leo allies were trying to do was basically say, with the change in personnel at the Supreme Court, we can overrule that recent precedent. Right. And we can basically allow these state legislatures that have been uh, a majority of whom are captured by MAGA Republicans to rewrite our maps and, and other rules around elections and to do so without any check or balance from the state courts. Sorry for that long explanation, but that's, I think, a pretty good a pretty good thumbnail sketch. Without a doubt. And don't apologize at all. No, we appreciate it. I mean, I love listening to you, Lisa, because you know your shit and you help you help us understand it. So the ruling that they issued yesterday basically said, um, sorry, you know, you can only take your shenanigans so far. And no, that's not how this works. You, the, the, you do not have the power to decide everything. The courts still have final say over what what you do with the with the districting maps. Does this does this impact gerrymandering? Well, it does. I mean, in this instance, what you had was um, it was compounded or complicated, I suppose, by the fact that in the last election in 2022, after North Carolina, a legislature changed the rules to have party identification for judicial retention elections. Um, what happened was the um, makeup of the state Supreme Court changed and they reversed their previous ruling about these maps. So you had a partisan takeover mm. of the North Carolina Supreme Court, which then immediately obliterated the nonpartisan ruling of the prior court to follow longstanding precedents around map drawing. And so the question was whether this case, one of the questions was whether this case was moot, which is what the dissent argued in part. Um, that was Thomas um, and Alito um, and and Gorsuch, but in essence, that that the case was moved because this the North Carolina Supreme Court basically stepped out of overturning um, that that extreme partisan map drawing that also had an effect on um, minority you know on minority rights um, in North Carolina longstanding uh, arrangements. Um, but in but in essence, what the Supreme Court, in the majority opinion, that was with Roberts um, and Kavanaugh. Um, along with um, the uh, the three um, uh, the, th- the the three Democratic appointees plus Barrett uh, ruled that this theory um, was contrary to um, longstanding legal precedents about the role of the courts as a check in our check system checks and balances. That's a shorthand for it. Um, but I I can't help but think that this case could very easily have gone the other oh, way. Easy, um, right. and I I think that. You know, the court t- uh, took this case um, uh, last year um, as it was beginning this new chapter of extremism um, signified by the Dobbs case, the decision to overturn 49 years of precedent around women's constitutional rights to access abortion. And there was a huge backlash in Kansas in the Kansas election, in the midterm elections, in the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Uh, and then the court, as we discussed earlier, has been engulfed by these massive massive scandals about um, its integrity or lack of integrity of some of the justices. And so I think this was Roberts and a couple of his colleagues um, hitting the brakes. I don't think it forecloses these right-wing legislators and MAGA Republicans from bringing similar cases in 2024 around the election. They are very likely to do so and to try to peel off uh, Roberts or Barrett or Kavanaugh to try to disrupt the 2024 election results. But for right now, 
it's a sort of a pumping of the brakes or a, a short reprieve. I'm relieved by the decision. But the fact that the court would even take this case is a sign of how extreme the the, the court has become. Right. Um, that we were at the brink of them actually allowing this ridiculous, absurd, outrageous, anti or counter historical argument become the law of the land just shows how far this court has moved to the right that it was even a case that they would consider taking versus versus summarily reversing or summarily affirming in the case of the prior um, North Carolina court's decision. Right. But this underscores the need for people to get out and vote and not only in in congressional, not only in federal elections, but in your local and state elections. Your state legislature right now is what's standing between you and and a dictatorship. Right. Because if if the if if they try to pull the same nonsense again and the state legislature um, says, oh, this is just fine, then it goes. Right. Yeah. I mean, the state legislature, the state legislations are really important. Um, you know, John Oliver on last week tonight did a show at one point that showed how many of these state legislative seats are uncontested. That's right. It's tr- truly astonishing, but they matter enormously. And given the bent of this U.S. Supreme Court, like with Roe, pushing this decision down to the states about whether you can access abortion, uh, whether you can, uh, you know, a- potentially access contraception. That's also yep. on the chopping block yep. for these uh, right wingers, um, whether you know people can marry the person they love, um, you know all these things are up for grabs at the state level, in- including also our ability to have you know uh, investments in renewable energy versus um, being required to invest in the fossil fuels that are um, really wreaking such havoc on our planet um, and to great profit of the fossil fuel companies, but to the detriment of, you know, we humans and other life on the planet in terms of, you know, not having the power to adequately regulate them or create even common sense public policies about right. our investments. So right. those state legislatures matter a lot. Um, it's important for people to vote. Um, and it's also important if you have a state that has partisan uh, primaries, which a lot of states do where you can only vote it to one party. Um, if your legislature is gerrymandered um, to the right, I think it's worth considering um, registering for the party uh, that is the likely winner of the general based on who wins the primary, meaning um, if people feel like they need to have a chance to weigh in on the Republican primaries, they should register as Republicans wow. in order to affect and prevent the most extreme people from getting into office. In that's my personal very, view, that's that's a, that's an interesting concept. You know, the other part of the problem is we need not only everyone to vote, we need good people to run. But here, th- here's the thing: at least here in Florida, and I know in a majority of states, the pay to be a state legislator is obscenely low i think in florida the state the state um, members and the state senators make maybe you know thirty thousand dollars a year or something it's designed to be a part-time job but you've got to be in tallahassee whenever there's a special a session that runs two months or a special session or and put up with all the 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 heartache that goes with it for under thirty thousand dollars a year who's going to do that well, that I mean, that that sort of idea that we're not going to pay legislators to have that be their job is really fraught. It's grounded in this, you know, sort of reactionary opposition to having taxes. But we need to have taxes to have good government and we need to have government servants be paid to have that be their primary, in fact, exclusive job. The idea that legislature legislators uh, are holding these other jobs where they may have deep financial conflicts of interest or incentives uh, to basically get rich um, while being a legislator um, because they're not being paid to do their actual public servant job is a, is a huge problem. It's also a problem in terms of staffing because these sort of shortcuts in, ter- in terms of funding our democratic offices means that what happens is that groups like ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, which I um, you know, led the effort to expose to yes, Alec Exposed. Yep. Alec becomes like basically a de facto um, staffer for those right. legislators, writing their bills or sending them the bills that the corporations have written for them, uh, helping them prepare for hearings because there isn't enough government staff, meaning public servants, uh, to help those legislators, you know, do their job in the public interest. And so it's a it's definitely a massive uh, problem. 
Um, but I also want to make sure we talk about that voting rights decision if we get a chance, Nicole, before we wrap. Yeah, but please. I would just say I, I, I concur fully with your uh, note about the importance of people running for office and also having pay so that people so this is their job. Their job is to serve the public, not to serve the private interests. Gotcha. So they did have the voting rights uh, opinion, which which um, it was a, a surprise. I expected far worse. But you had. Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett uh, and John Roberts voting with with uh, Sotomayor and, and Kagan and Katanji Brown Jackson to say, um, uh, no, you, you know, the, you can't do it. So tell, tell us what the decision was yesterday. You, you can explain yeah. it better than I can. <laughs> yeah. So the decision this week was about the Voting Rights Act. Um, and uh, there was, again, a major threat um, that was uh, basically, I guess the decision came out on the 8th, so it was a little while ago, but I wanted to emphasize it um, uh, for you and the listeners, Nicole. Um, there was a lot of worry that the Supreme Court was going to further erode the Voting Rights Act. It had already done a massive uh, attack on the Voting Rights Act in the opinion by John Roberts um, attacking attacking Section 4 and the enforcement of Section, in section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. Right which is what has allowed for the last 10 years this massive wave of voter suppression bills, bills to make it harder for Americans to vote. So there was a big worry that the court would um, would use uh, this challenge to uh, Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act to you know, further that agenda. Um, and in fact, at this point, as you mentioned, a majority of the court decided not to eviscerate Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. But that's because they've already done this major attack on the other provision that's having this benefit, in my view, to the Republican Party, which has been trying to make it really harder for Americans to vote, not easier despite their rhetoric. But the fact is, is that this decision um, comes a year too late, because what happened in 2022 is that these maps were already being challenged uh, to this U.S. Supreme Court. This U.S. Supreme Court, emboldened by their extreme like faction that's in control uh, and not yet rebuked by the voters because the Dobbs decision had not come down yet. Um, they basically allowed these maps to stand in 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 effect in in a number of states, these flawed maps. Um, and the effect of that was that the Republicans took control of Congress. But for that decision to allow these challenged maps to to proceed in that election, the election results might have been different and we might not have had a Republican-controlled Congress. And then after this rebuke by the American people, after this wave of ethical scandals, this court decides to allow the Section Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act to apply according to long-standing precedent as it should have been applied last year. Right. But they did not do it. And so, in effect, this court already, um, already has affected the 2022 election. Um, because of the because of not enforcing its prior precedent when it when it was important to do so, the good news is at least in theory, um, those maps will re, will be redrawn uh, in time for the twenty twenty four election. So we'll see what happens. But this is another sort of, in my view, a bit of gamesmanship by John Roberts to address the public perception of the court, not the underlying reality of how extreme this court really has become. Well, and they still have the opportunity to show their extremeness in the remaining decisions, which, which you know, they're going to announce more tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. I think, I hope you're going to come back on Friday to help go through what else they, uh, they, they announce. But I, but I can't let you go. I can't let the day, the show end without asking you about the other ruling that they handed down yesterday, which is about this online threats and harassment. Um, uh, so I guess you're allowed to harass someone if you can say that you didn't know you were being threatening. Well, I, I heard a part of your show yesterday, Nicole, and it really is a, a jaw dropping decision. And it's very disappointing the way they have construed the harassment rules, because um, you've just seen an explosion of harassment, online harassment, you know, threats of violence uh, and more, as you know, as you know, well, as you described. And I think this decision uh, you know, really took the wrong approach, um, is really out of step with um, the sort of dominant law in America. And also the thing, the, the real kind of threats that people are contending with in this environment in which, in which some people um, are really um, causing tremendous uh, legitimate fear yeah. for their lives yeah. uh, based on the types of threats and to kind of basically side with the 
side with the harassers, side with um, the people who are um, purveying these threats to make it easier for them to get away with it. Yeah. Um, you know, was really disappointing. Yeah. Did the, I mean, it, it, the way I'm looking at it, it looks like they're saying, well, if the person who's harassing other people didn't know that they're being threatening, how do you not know you're being threatening when you're harassing someone incessantly like this songwriter, this singer? Right. Um, right. Obviously, he's threatening her. Just like, sorry, this stalker we have at Progressive Voices, he doesn't make any blatant, you know, he doesn't articulate an an absolute threat. But the ugly, vile nature of these messages that he sends incessantly, he listens nonstop, although he professes his hate for each and every one of us. There's something seriously wrong there. And is there nothing we can do about it? Well, I think, you know, what we're going to have to do in response to the Supreme Court decision is um, try to get some changes at the state level. We're not going to get relief from the Supreme Court. What we're going to have to have is state state legislatures. I know that that's, again, a, a, an area in which some of these state legislatures have been so captured by the far right. But the fact is, is that, you know, the American people need to have 21st century rules to deal with 21st century cyber stalking, stalking and that type of harassment and threat. This is not about, you know, core uh, First Amendment rights. Um, people don't have a right to harass other people and to and to threaten right. them and to have a really elevated sort of mens rea or like uh, intent standard. Um, it's something that can be fixed, fixed, in my view, by other legislation. We're just going to have to have a wave of legislation that makes clear, like, you can express your opinion. People have a right to express their opinion. But the sort of uh, incessant harassment or threatening behavior or threatening of violence, like, there need to be rules that protect people's lives. Um, and there can be reasonable rules that respect First Amendment rights, but also respect people's rights to their, you know, right to their own lives and to have uh, to not have to live in that sort of in, uh, environment in which they are facing such incessant harassment. Yeah, uh, you know, that that, that one um, just uh, is is sort of troublesome. So there are others that we're waiting for, again, that we may get tomorrow. Uh, they may give to some decisions on Friday morning, too, if they really want to get them all out before the end of the month, or they roll over into next month. But there's still student loan forgiveness, Affirmative action for college admissions. Um, what else? Oh, uh, free speech and gay wedding websites. Here we go again. What is it about Cal- uh, Colorado? I don't understand. And, um, oh, the the day off for the Sabbath, which I think uh, some of those religious zealots on the court are going to have a hard time with that. Because who did they protect more? The religious uh, people or... Or the the job creators who might lose money because they have to give paid time off for people's religious rights, right? So so those are the four biggies. There are a few more still. Am I missing anything? Yeah, no, that's right. We'll we'll see in the next few days. I suspect that they really will close out the term uh, by the end of the day on Friday, and wow. we'll have all the decisions this week. So we should have plenty to talk about on Friday when those decisions come down and. Um, you know, they are decisions that are going to affect uh, people's lives and freedoms. Um, and so uh, I look forward to talking with him about you then, Nicole. Me too. Now, you're uh, obviously we saw from when the video was on that that didn't look like your house. You're, you are in D.C. now. What are you doing there? Oh, I am. I'm in D.C. this week. I've got a little bit of work here. I, I do a lot of work around research about the around the Supreme Court and more. And so, yes, that this is not my usual environment. <laughs> Um, but I am I'm here uh, for some work and um, uh, I, I lived here for many years and I really do love D.C. It's such a beautiful city, um, you know, notwithstanding some of the ugly politics that we see, particularly some of the stuff happening in the House of Representatives that's utterly um, ungrounded in fact or law. Um, but it's a great city and every American should come if they get the chance to see our nation's capital and see great things like the the Washington Monument and really my favorite, the Lincoln Memorial, the tribute to Abraham Lincoln, who would be, I think, quite astonished at what the Republican Party, the party that he helped launch, um, has become. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. Lisa Graves, well, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. And and so tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., they will hand down more decisions. And then, as you said, they'll probably come back on Friday as well. And then we'll wrap this up Friday afternoon and go over these last few decisions. Ellie Mistal, 
thinks that they're saving the worst for last. Thinks, of course, uh, you know, blacks and minorities are, are going to get screwed um, because it just seems that that's where they're headed. But, uh, you know, look, they surprised me with this one yesterday. So maybe. <laughs> maybe yeah, we'll see. But, you know, the, the, the Leonard Leo faction has been hard at trying to uh, change the rules for college admissions for years now. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of, uh, you know, really big issues at stake in these last few decisions. And um, I do think they've saved the worst for the last. So we'll see how those decisions come out and then we'll see what the strategies are for dealing with them. Lisa Graves, thank you so much. We'll talk on Friday. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. More than you know. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great night in D.C. And uh, good luck to us all tomorrow. Bye. Thanks. And, uh, you know, with that, we're at the end of the hour. I I can't thank Lisa enough for lending us her her expertise on this. Um, Yeah, I want this to be over, but I'm sort of dreading it. But we'll try to keep a positive, uh, positive thought. All right. With that, we're done. Um, I'll be back tomorrow. It's Thursday. So we'll run down what they do tomorrow and then Howie Klein will be here. And then we'll wrap up the week with um, with uh, with Lisa on Friday. Uh, Lynn Marie is asking what happened to Progressive Voices. My equipment that I use to broadcast live to Progressive Voices is in the shop. Yeah, hopefully they can fix it. So in the meantime, I'm flipped with David Pakman. This show will air at 7 p.m. Eastern. For Pacific on Progressive Voices until I get the equipment back and can go live. Okay? All right. Thanks, everybody. Got to turn this around so it can air tonight at 7. I'll see you tomorrow. Uh, Thanks and good luck to us all. Have a good night. Bye.